Hi, and welcome to Shots with Catherine, conversations with creatives where I chat with creatives of all different mediums to get into what's really behind it all. Today, I'm excited to welcome editor and colorist Anna Christian. Based in Chicago, she's worked on numerous films, music videos, and commercials, and as an assistant editor for Work in Progress Season 2. Welcome, Anna. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. First, can you tell us a little bit about what attracted you to editing in particular? I mean, usually people go to film school and everybody wants to be a director or a DP. So what, what it was about editing that intrigued you? Well, I was also guilty of going to film school wanting to be a director or a DP. Um, and I think somewhere along the line, I just gravitated towards editing because it's sort of like backseat directing and DPing in a lot of ways. Because <laughs> as the editor, you're helping the director craft the story itself, but also you're taking all of the shots of the DP created and you know captured and you're also creating a visual you know language for the film as well so i get to dip a toe in each pool uh, which i really really enjoy um and there was also something about like the speed of set that wasn't quite for me you know i pa'd on a feature when i was in undergrad and i had so much fun but it was enough for me to be like okay being on set isn't quite for me like for the rest of my life this is every day you know running around like doing all the things and the stress level is so high but i was like i think i like the idea of being able to like calmly you know in a dark room just like really craft the story without sort of that time pressure or you know the hustle pressure of like we got to get the last shot off before the lights we lose the light and all that stuff um, you know, I love having an undo button where it's like, well, let me play with this thing and try this idea and see if it works. If it doesn't just control Z, you know, 10 times, and, <laughs> you know, I'm back to where I started. So I really like sort of the flexibility of being able to experiment and try things. And, you know, if something doesn't work, be able to go back, which is really a luxury you don't have, you know, in an onset role, cause it's, you gotta get yeah. shots, you gotta make your day. And, you know, if you like, Either there's time to experiment and try something new and run the risk that it doesn't work and you don't get what you need, or you know, you kind of have to play it safe and like just get exactly what the plan was. And both those things are fine, but I love not having to choose. <laughs> and can you tell us a bit more about your journey so far? What kinds of projects have you worked on and how did you start getting work once you finished school? Sure. Um, pretty much all of it was just straight up networking. Um, you know, I, a lot of it was just people I met through school. Um, I just offered to edit everybody's project that I met. I was <laughs> like, here's my business card. I'm an editor. Like I'll edit your projects, you know? So I spent so much of school just cutting everything I could get my hands on. And so much of that translated to after I got out of school, you know, I made connections with a lot of different people. Um, I did a lot of work for free. Um, just to get the experience and to get my name out there and to connect with other creatives. So, so much of my freelancing was just built off of, you know, second and third degrees removed from people I just knew in school. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of short films, um, a couple music videos, really anything I could get my hands on. Um, yeah. And kind of from there, like, I kind of diverged into two different paths at the same time. So I kind of kept the freelance side of things going of working on every, you know, project I could come up with. Then I also interned at a post-production uh, house here in Chicago and I learned how to do dailies for network television. 
Um, so I did that for a couple of years. I did dailies for a couple seasons of The Shy. And then from there, having that experience as a dailies tech and um, really getting a very technical grounding in workflow and you know media management and things like that, it really prepared me well to move into an assistant editor role, uh, which I landed this past year on Work in Progress. Uh, so being, you know, joining the union, the editor's union, and being on sort oh, of a network TV show. Um, yeah, so I kind of have a lot of different like paths and opportunities just because I didn't really cut off any options, you know, and I've been freelancing for like a commercial company for the past couple of years. So I think a big part of uh, like my sort of success and my approach to developing my career is just taking as many opportunities as I can in a lot of different veins, you know, ultimately, I'd really like to be a narrative editor on, you know, feature films, but it's sort of a long road to get there. So in the interim, a lot of it was just building up my experience in, you know, the short indie side of things, the commercial side of things, the network side of things, and just trying to sort of gather as many connections and skills as I can. Oh yeah, I mean, it's super important to be diverse, have a well-rounded skill set. Um, could you elaborate on that a little more? You mentioned working as an assistant editor and then doing dailies. So for people who aren't familiar, would love to hear more about what that's like because there's so many different positions within the editorial world. Sure. Yeah, for sure. I would love to chat about dailies because it's probably one of the most invisible roles on any film set. So your dailies person is at least, you know, in like a network TV uh, world, that is the person that stays up all night, every night to process all the, all the day's footage so that it's ready for the producers and the director and the DP to watch the next morning. Um, so it's a very grueling job <laughs> that requires you to be a little insane because, you know, you have a completely flipped sleep schedule. But yeah, it's literally just, you know, all of the footage from set comes to you and, you know, you sync the audio, you apply basic color and you render out both the proxies for editorial that get sent off to the editors to start cutting with. Um, and then also like usually streaming daily. So you upload it to some sort of online viewing platform where the producers and you know the directors, they can watch all the previous day's footage. But yeah, you pretty much never sleep ever. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, I mean, it's a great job and it's a great way to get, you know, in, in the door on post-production. And it's such an important job because it really takes a lot of trust in your dailies op to make sure all your footage is being processed correctly. A lot of people when they, you know, in post-production at least, when they hear that you've done dailies, they're like, okay, like, you know what you're doing, you, you know, have, have the technical knowledge and stuff like that. So pro tip for any aspiring editors, learn how to do dailies. I've met a lot of editors who don't manage the technical side of their projects as well. And projects really suffer because of it. You know, like you get to the end of a project and there's a lot of um, like cleanup that needs to be done. So I think it's really important for editors to understand sort of the technical aspects of their job. And going through, you know, a position like a dailies tech, you really, really start to understand a lot of the technical back workings of filmmaking. And I think that's really, really important. Oh yeah, I had no idea just how technical 
certain parts of editing could be because I remember all of the editing classes that I ever took in school were much more focused on the creative side of it like how to put mm -hmm. the story together and then using different softwares and I used to run into some of those issues because I, I didn't know how to best organize my project or make proxies mm -hmm. or anything. In school that absolutely should be where the focus is but there's so much technical that goes into it and it's such an important part of the process that like it's really really essential i think for for truly doing a good job in in your role it's not just about you know having the creative masterpiece it's also about like actually doing the full scope of your job so could you walk us through what the workflow would look like say you're hired to edit a short film that was shot on an alexa what would the workflow look like both technical and creative yeah for sure um, so for like an indie short film where say I'm like the sole editor, I don't have an assist or anything like that, which is most of the work I do. I mostly am like my entire own editorial pipeline. So I'll usually make my own dailies because <laughs> having done it, you know, a lot of times I get dailies in that aren't correct. So I'm like, well, I'm going to remake all of these. <laughs> um, so yeah, I usually, have, you know, I create the dailies. So, you know, proxies that I can edit off of. Um, you know, making sure all the proper metadata is preserved and things like that. Because again, thinking down the line too, I have to hand things off to, to color, to sound. So just knowing what, uh, what needs to be preserved correctly so that, you know, everything gets translated down the pipeline to those people correctly and without problems is really important. And that starts before you even make your first cut. It's how do you manage all of this footage? You know, if you're doing a proxy workflow, making sure that things are going to reconnect properly when you're done at the end um, and all of everything gets processed in the proper way. Um, so from a technical standpoint, it's all about setting it up correctly and then handing it off correctly. So just knowing how to do that. And then everything in the middle is all the creative fun stuff. Um, so, I mean, every creative process is totally different. You know, it just depends on the project. Um, you know, sometimes I'll try and like watch some films that have a similar feel or vibe um, to what the director is going for. You know, I'll usually get references from them of like things they have in mind, um, you know, just to get in the right like state of mind to cut something. But, you know, a lot of times I just like start at the beginning, you know, I, I know some people like kind of jump around a little bit, but I really like to start at, at the top because you know, every scene builds on the tone that you're creating for the film and it builds on the characters that you're creating. And so decisions that you make at the beginning are going to impact decisions that happen later. Uh, and this is sort of where that like backseat directing comes in is like, okay, if mm -hmm. I pick one take over another for say the scene where we first meet our main character, you know, if, like depending on what their reaction is, that's going to inform say like all of the important scenes down the line of okay how is this person going to respond here how do we arrive at this emotional high point or low point you know at, at the climax of the film and what are sort of the little mini emotional steps along the way there does does this logically make sense that this character that starts out in this emotional state ends up here and you know obviously a big part of that is like how it's written and stuff. Obviously the, the script and you know the acting and the direction all has to be there. But if you have an actor that gives you options, then picking the right options is really important for making the trajectory for a character make sense.
Is there a particular genre or type of film that you enjoy working on the most? You know, horror, drama, comedy? Um, I really like them all. I think, um, I think I would get bored if I just did one thing. <laughs> so I like the variety of being able to work on different things. And they each have like different creative um, kind of strategies that are fulfilling in different ways. It's really interesting. I actually don't really like horror films, but I think cutting them is very fun uh, <laughs> just because you get to kind of like manufacture this tension and sort of these fun, creepy moments. And it's very thrilling being in the editing chair for that, even if like watching them creeps me out, <laughs> which is really funny. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. But I also love the punchiness of comedy of, you know, cutting like jokes and, you know, funny moments in just the right way that they hit. Um, you know, I think for drama, really like crafting a very emotional scene, um, I think is probably one of my biggest strengths is just like two people like in a room having a very intense conversation and really just like crafting the pauses and the breaths in between those really intense moments. Um, you know, how does somebody go from like being completely composed to a crying mess in the course of a conversation? And how do you make that feel natural and organic and not histrionic? Um, I find that to be very fulfilling and, you know, engaging. Uh, to craft that. So yeah, I guess the answer is I love all of it. When it comes to the different kinds of films, are there any kinds that you might describe as more challenging or less challenging to edit depending on the style or how it was shot? Something that's experimental mm. or something that's uh, handheld or has a lot of long takes versus a lot of quick shots? Yeah. Um, for me, it's less about how it was filmed and more about what was the process for filming it and by that i mean people who bring me in as the editor before they film is always a better process because there's always something that i can bring to the table in pre-production that production hasn't thought about yet you know so it's just like a fresh pair of eyes looking at the script thinking about how would i cut this and then if i'm just getting the footage at the end and then I'm looking through it and being like, oh man, I really wish they had gotten this shot or this would have worked out great if they had only done this thing. So just being brought into the conversation in pre-production like is such an important thing for me personally. And I really encourage people to do it. Like if you're hiring an editor for sort of their creative skills and vision and like you have that respect for them, then bringing them in at the start like will make your project so much better like i can't tell you how many how many times you know we, we get to the end and there's like no transitions because mm -hmm. you know when you're breaking down a script you're looking at it scene by scene and so often people don't think about how do you get from scene one to scene two or like in between all these scenes you know versus me i have to think about that it's like okay how are we getting out of this scene and into this scene so like what what's your plan for that you know have you thought about this let's make sure we get this shot or you know if if they want to do really long takes for for a scene or if they want to make it a oneer like i love oneers i think they're super cool but making sure hey make sure you get me one safety alternate angle or cutaway or something give me an option for a cut point because if you don't nail that oneer 
then I like I'm boxed in. There's no option for me to like get out of it and get back in to cut out, you know, whatever it was that didn't go correctly in that one arc. You know, I totally like respect the vision, but I also respect having the safety of making sure that, all right, well, if you didn't get it, then like I'd rather we're not totally out of luck, you know? So making sure that you have safe options um, so that if everything goes wrong, you can still, you know, make it work, even if it wasn't the perfect vision realized. So there's a lot of things that I think about in that way. Or, you know, if someone comes to me saying, oh, I want to have like, cut this like an Edgar Wright movie, you know, with these really like quick transitions and stuff. And then I'm not seeing in the shot list, the shots that they need to make something like that happen, then, you know, I can pop in and be like, okay, well, like you need this, this, and this, if this is the way you want it to be edited. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really the more important element for whether it's an easy project or a hard project to edit. Do I have a voice before the film's even shot? Oh yeah, that's something that I feel like a lot of filmmakers don't think of or don't do, but it is so important because I know definitely on projects where I've been able to talk to the editor, show them my shot list beforehand, that's always so helpful. I mean, I think the uh, real collaboration's got to start early on with everybody because uh, editing is just mm -hmm. such, a, such an important part of the process. And then I've worked on various projects where like oh we're still finding an editor we don't have one and then post ends up taking forever and it's yeah. a mess yeah absolutely i think that's you really hit on a big part of it is that it is such a collaborative medium filmmaking and recognizing that an editor is a really important part of the collaboration an editor isn't just like a button monkey that's like you know cut here you know slide that 10 frames over it's like the editor does have a big creative vision and editors really look at things in a different way. I know like especially a lot of early directors, they fantasize about cutting their own stuff, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and the reality is like editing software is by and large very easy to use. So like anybody can learn it, but just because anybody can edit doesn't mean that everybody is an editor. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a very kind of specific skill set in terms of how to really craft things effectively. I think just having, being able to recognize that that's an important creative person in the process, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of about like below the line role, but you, you really have a lot of above the line impact, frankly. Mm -hmm. It's definitely so collaborative and creative. You're piecing this puzzle together. How do you approach the collaborative aspect, like getting to know the director and understanding the vision for each new project? I think so much of it just comes down to like having really deep conversations about, you know, what inspired the story? Like, what's the story that they're trying to tell? You know, what's the feeling that they want the audience to come away with? I think for me, so much of it is like trying to get at the heart of what's driving the film that they're making. Because I mean, I'm sure like everybody knows the the classic saying, like a film gets rewritten three times or whatever, like it gets written once on the script and then it gets rewritten when you shoot it and it gets rewritten when you edit it. And really what's at the heart of that is like, you don't always end up with the exact vision that it was either written with or shot with, you know, mm -hmm. at the end, you kind of, your actors bring something new to those characters that didn't exist on the script page. You know, the, the footage that you're able to capture, like maybe some things didn't translate the way that you thought it would or something else is being translated. And, 
you know, the best thing you can do for a project isn't necessarily try to force it into the mold of what the perfect idyllic vision was in your head. It's okay, what do you have before you? And like, we might have to adjust these things because they didn't work the way that you planned, but what's, what's at the heart of the film? Like what's the story you're trying to tell or what are the emotions you're trying to convey? And how can we still preserve the heart of that vision in the footage and the performances that you were able to actually capture? And I think that's a real struggle for a lot of, a lot of directors is to like let go of maybe the original vision for something. I'm not talking about like big picture things of like, obviously the story is still the story, but you know, maybe there was an idea for a character of like, oh, I really wanted them to be this way or feel this way. And maybe that actor just brought something new to that character and inhabited that character in a way that like just brought something, you know, a different element to it. Coming in fresh to it, not knowing like the inner workings of the writer or the director's you know brain for that character it's okay this is what i'm seeing from this character this is what i'm getting from this actor maybe we pivot this character's emotional arc this way because it it feels more organic or real or truthful you know maybe we cut this scene out because you know with everything that we've been given from this character the scene just doesn't feel like it makes sense anymore it doesn't fit mm -hmm. you know something like that so a lot of it's just like trying to preserve and nurture the original vision of a creative while also retooling it like the actual footage and the story so that it actually serves that original vision it just the reality is nothing ever comes out perfectly the way you imagined it and it's offering changes and adjustments that even though they might be changing things, it's actually servicing the true heart of the directorial and creative intent. So that's always a like tricky path to navigate, but if people are open to a true collaboration, uh, then again, it really just like enhances the project a lot not forcing it to be what you're trying to make it, but allowing it to be what it actually is. Yeah, and I know like from a director producer standpoint, it can be so hard to let go of this original vision, but so much can change in post. Do you have any examples of projects that maybe started out with one idea or vision, but then ended up completely changing in the edit process? I think a lot of times it comes down to things like maybe you rearrange the order of some scenes of like these scenes need to happen earlier because we need to get to this emotional place or, you know, I think this is, has a greater impact here. Um, sometimes it's cut, again, cutting a scene that doesn't make sense from the film. Sometimes it's just cutting certain lines of dialogue. People can be really attached to the script or be like, oh man, but that line was, it was such a good zinger or what, you know, whatever. And it's just, it doesn't fit what what you're trying to do on like a larger scale too like i've had people go out and shoot pickups because i'm like hey you're missing a scene in here you know you get through the editorial process and you know it's just like there's just something missing here there's a moment missing here you need to get those actors back go go pick up this thing because you really need it for this part to make sense or for this like emotional trajectory to make sense it's so like i'm definitely not afraid to tell people to go out and get pickups. But the reality is usually if I'm asking for pickups, it's because I didn't get to come in on the front end during pre-production. Mm -hmm. Like 
and get a look at the script ahead of time and things like that. It's, you know, so that's sort of most of those situations kind of happen when it's like, all right, here's, here's our whole film that we shot, go edit it. And it's like, oh, well, you could have used this extra scene here. It's amazing how much of an impact the little things have. So here's a great example. Um, I just cut like a very, very intense argument scene recently. Both characters are like scream crying. You know, it's like a very, very intense emotional scene. And as scripted, one tries to hug the other and then the other one like pushes them away. It's just like, don't touch me right now and walks away. And in the grand scope of the whole film, I deeply felt that you couldn't have the argument end like that those two characters, they needed to hug and the scene needed to end with them hugging. Like there needed to be sort of that tense reconciliation at the end versus somebody walking away. It's a small change, but it's also a huge change because that has very different implications for both of those characters' emotional arcs. So yeah, that was like a script level change, (laughs) you know, and I had to like steal a shot to make it happen, (laughs) you know, because obviously as, as shot and as acted, they both walk away at the end of the scene, but I stole a moment from when, you know, they didn't realize the cameras were still running. It was after they called cut and the two actors, they went and hugged each other like genuinely because they were like, oh my God, that was such an intense scene that we just had. And we're both like crying. And so like the the two real people, the actors like went and had like a very tender hug and one of the cameras happened to still be rolling. So they like weren't technically in character anymore or anything, but it was this beautiful shot that, you know, was gotten and I was like, well, I'm stealing that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, to just like make that moment happen. And it's really beautiful. And the way that scene ends, it's like very, very lovely. And I think it hits harder for it. So like you were saying, a large part of editing is also creative problem solving, working with the footage that you do have, even if even if some of it might be missing or not exactly what works perfectly from the edit. Like you gave the example of uh, using the shot of two actors hugging. How often do you end up having to do things like that? And what kind of little creative changes might you do for a film? Like like using a shot that wasn't necessarily intended or say reframing, retiming, etc. I will do all of the above if it serves the story and it serves the edit. I will literally do anything I have to do to make something work. And depending on the film, there may be more or less of that. Um, I think there are some films that have been very like run and gun style shooting where they just barely made their days and maybe they didn't get all the coverage. So in that case, I am not above pulling any trick out of my bag to make something work. Whether it's, you know, if if you shot, you know, 6K and you only got one angle of something, I'm not above punching all the way in to create (laughs) close-ups if I need them or... I have an example of a scene where a character, like it's a scene in a car, you know, where a character gets into a car with somebody and they're just like sitting, you know, idling in the car, they have a conversation. And the next scene happens and like, there's no connective tissue to like the next scene. I'm like, we really need a shot of that person getting out of the car. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna take the shot where they got in the car and I'm gonna reverse it so they get out of the car. <laughs> so, and sometimes stuff like that doesn't work, but sometimes it does. And in that case, Luckily it did, you know, it didn't look too, too weird. You know, you just needed that split second of it, of seeing them getting out of the car to like get them into the next scene with this person they're talking to over here, you know, or if it's like a montage and that character's running too slow, I'm going to speed it up by 10%. So it looks like they're running (laughs) just a little bit faster, you know, 
if if I can get away with it and it's not noticeable, like I'm not above manipulating things however I need to, you know, using whatever creative solutions are available to me. And that also goes back to stealing moments where characters, you know, actors might not be in character, but maybe them not being in character is actually exactly what that character needed you know, for that moment. So I think it really depends on the film. I've worked on films where it's just like, wow, y'all got absolutely everything. It all looks great. And this is so easy. Like my job is so easy. But I do think the reality is that it's it's rare when you're able to get absolutely everything you wanted to on set, you know, or every moment was captured perfectly. I know I worked on a short once where I remember one of the leads flubbed almost every single take and didn't deliver some of the lines very well but then the editor was able to take it and work with it and when i showed it in the class people were commenting on how good the actress was ah yes the frankenbite <laughs> so that's what i I, th I think some other people call it that too but i usually call it frankensteining an edit when i actually get this a lot in documentary and I mean, I'm doing it right now. When people get in front of a camera who aren't actors and they are asked to speak, they pause a lot, they say um a lot, they <laughs> stutter over their words a lot. So I'm very sympathetic to that because clearly I'm also one of those people. But you know, when you're trying to make people sound more articulate on screen, then sometimes you have to sort of Frankenstein a sound bite together. So I've actually done it in documentary and narrative as well. I've done it more so in documentary because again, you have people who don't have pre-written lines and who aren't actors who are asked to speak in front of the camera. So it's like, all right, we're gonna cover this with B-roll and we are going to assemble full sentences from maybe not full sentences. I think in narrative, it can be trickier because I think you have fewer options for covering things up with, for example, B-roll like you would a documentary and stuff like that. But if it's say, you know, a dialogue scene, then I'm like, all right, I'm going to hold on this reverse shot so I can stuff a line in this other character's mouth. And maybe I literally have to pull fractions of sentences from different takes to Frankenstein together a complete articulately delivered sentence. <laughs> But again, you know, you do what you got to do. And that's part of the process. I actually do that a lot in kind of minor ways in narrative, you know, because maybe I like 90% of the sentence that was given in a take. But if one word, you know, the last word didn't sound quite right to me, then, you know, I might steal it from another take. And if it's really small like that, I don't even have to necessarily cut away from it. So, like a lot of times people won't notice the fake ADR, if you will, <laughs> um, if it's one word. So I, I, I will stuff words in characters' mouths sometimes. If I'm really not feeling a performance, like I'll straight up ask for ADR. You know, I'll just be like, I think you need to ADR this so they get it better. But yeah, I mean, again, it's all part of the process of crafting a performance that feels truthful and organic and right for that character in that moment. And if I don't feel like I'm getting it from the footage, then again, you know, I'll do whatever I have to do to try and make that moment happen. You know, whether it's Frankensteining a performance off out of multiple takes or, you know, asking for ADR or, you know, anything like that. It's, that that's my job is to figure out how to make it work. 
And I would love to hear a little bit more on what it's like to work on narrative versus documentary, because, you know, with narrative, you have the story pretty much already there versus you're building the story more from scratch mm-hmm. with a documentary. What's that like? Well, I vastly prefer narrative, I will say that. Documentary is very tricky in a couple different respects. I mean, first, first of all, to your point of like, a lot of times there isn't always a story up front in documentary or a plan. Mm-hmm. I think it's much better when there is, <laughs> if you have an idea of what you're trying to capture, but at least a lot of the documentary material that I've worked on there wasn't much of a plan. It was, I know there's something here. Let's mm-hmm. interview a bunch of people and we'll find the story later. And that's always very overwhelming and tough to be like, all right, here's 40 hours of interview footage. Let's find the story. Um, you know, so that's a very daunting task if there isn't sort of a very specific vision going in. But I think even trickier than that is you have to be so respectful of the people that came to sit in front of the camera. Um, It's very easy to either intentionally or unintentionally warp the meaning of what people are saying to portray them in a different light to. um, So there is like an ethical responsibility with creating an editing doc that you have to constantly be aware of. So, I mean, even to my point earlier about like Frankensteining a sentence together, it's such a big responsibility to make sure that like, okay, I want to make sure that what this person saying makes sense and is mm-hmm. legible. Like we can actually understand what they're saying. It's not this crazy run on sentence that we have no idea what they're saying. But if I'm going to Frankenstein a sentence or a soundbite together, making sure that I'm so careful to preserve the original intention of what they're saying and not warping Mm -hmm. it in any way. And that can be a very tricky balance to walk of, you know, I'm stealing parts of your sentences from other parts of your interview, Mm -hmm. but it's actually to help you say what you're actually trying to say and not with the intention of making you say something different than what you're actually trying to say. What do you wish more people understood about the editing process and what it's really like? I have a big old sticker on my computer that says fix it in pre with a picture of a skeleton in front of a computer. (laughs) And that well and truly is the answer to a lot of things is talking about more things and planning for more things in pre-production. And a big part of that is bringing your editor in in pre-production. I also think a very easy trap to fall into because of the stress and hustle and bustle of set is to not take the time to get something properly because you think it'll take too long. It'll cost too much money to shoot for the extra half hour to get the shot or whatever. When in reality, it is almost certainly going to cost you more to fix it in post. So Mm -hmm. to anybody who thinks it's cheaper to fix it in post, you're probably wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But there are cases where that's not the case. Like, it is very rare that I, if I'm on set as the editor, will tell somebody fix it in post. (laughs) Fixing things in post more often is more expensive because it'll probably involve VFX or some sort of finagling or like, frankly, it just won't look as good. If you're able to take the time to do a shot one more time or whatever you got to do to make it happen, that's very important. But again, 
having a more thorough pre-production process. More pre-production never hurt anybody. You can plan more for stuff, bring all the parties involved in. I mean, and that's not just the editor, really your whole post team should be involved in the pre-production because like your sound people almost certainly will have thoughts about the way that you capture sound on set and the types of files you record. And, you know, your colorist certainly will want to have a dialogue with the DP about the way things are lit and how, how you should expose things. Like if, if you're wanting to intentionally underexpose things, I can guarantee you, you'll want to do a camera test with your colorist to take a look at how that's actually going to look. And if you want to intentionally underexpose, making sure that it's the right amount of underexposed that actually has the effect that you want, you know, things like that. Because again, like maybe you're going for an intentional underexposed look. Well, if you do it too much and you know, oh, the colorist will fix it. Well, they might not be able to fix it as much as you think they can fix it. So really, I think understanding if you're going to say fixed it in post, make sure you've actually talked to a post person to find out if they actually can in fact fix it. Because uh, that'll be a very disappointing thing to find out down the line that something is either ruined or you know you couldn't pull it off or it doesn't at all look like how you thought. And again, it just comes down to planning. You know, if it's a technique you haven't done before, make sure you do a test, make sure that it's gonna work. If you're going for a super stylized look, like do a test, make sure that that's actually what you're going for. That's so right. I think a lot of people don't necessarily think to collaborate or talk to the post team or like you said, even have a post team before they shoot. But I know I've definitely worked on projects where I see the final results and whoever did the color did something totally different than what I was intending and what I was lighting and shooting for. And just being able to have that dialogue beforehand would have made it so much better Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing, like as a creator, you obviously have a strong creative vision that you want to see realized, but your post team is the one that has to execute it. So making sure that you are giving them the tools to be able to execute your creative vision is very important. And unless you are a post professional who has moved into, <laughs> you know, directing or, you know, DPing or whatever, then you might not always know exactly every every tool and every nuance of that person's job that they need to make your vision happen. So, I mean, again, I think it comes down to having a certain amount of humility to be able to collaborate. So, you know, not, you know, allowing, say for example, like a, a DP to bring a colorist into the conversation early and like doing a camera test together and be like, hey, let's put together a show lot that you know you can shoot everything on and like monitor everything with like the look that we want to have for the film or you know if it's hey i've got this really cool idea for this lighting setup like let's do a test of that actual lighting setup bring it into the color room and figure out does this look the way that i actually want it to look um and you know, if you have a really good colorist who has a very strong technical grounding, they can really do a lot to help inform really nailing the look that you want. And a lot of it comes down to what you're capturing on set and how it's being lit and exposed and all those things. And, 
you can save a lot of amazing things in color. Um, you know, I've seen it happen, but if you have a really strong creative vision, again, it's sort of giving your team the tools in order to execute it. And that really involves talking to them ahead of time in order to make that happen. So you said you've worked on a few projects where you've been the editor, but you've also been on set. Can you talk a little bit about what that's like and what kinds of things are you looking for? Um, as the editor on set? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't have a chance to do it very often, but again, it, it's, it's sort of an extension of the process of being brought in in pre-production. It's being able to bring another perspective, to look out for things that other people aren't looking out for. Something I'd really like to explore more in sort of future collaborations. And I've talked with, you know, several of my filmmaking friends about this is like actually formally being there for all of production as the editor on set, because I think some sometimes you are so focused on trying to make the day and so focused on just like getting the thing that again you're not thinking about all of the other contingencies that me as the editor i'm thinking about so so often i find myself sitting in the editing room being like man i really just wish they hadn't called cut so fast you know the the actor finishes getting out their last line and it's like cut i'm like oh man i wish they just sat at the end of that scene and like lived in that moment for five seconds you know just let it breathe you know or you get you get three or four takes the actor delivers it exactly how the director wanted but maybe like me as the editor i'm watching it i'm like man this whole scene they're just like firing off their lines way too fast like it doesn't feel as natural as i want i really wish they had gotten one take where they just said everything a little slower so it's the sort of thing where if i'm on set you know not not too like hijack the director or anything like that but it's like you've already gotten your three or four takes if i see something where i'm like hey love it love it you got exactly what you wanted can we get one take where we do this one thing differently you know so i have an option because again things feel different on set than they do when you watch it back later and those are the types of things that i'm looking for is like mm, i don't think that's gonna land in the footage quite the way it feels in the moment here um so just like hey let's get one take where like just say your lines like a little bit slower or a little bit faster or you know can you just like let this breathe a little bit longer here mm -hmm. or can we try one where they just do this thing completely differently just just to have the option uh, of it you know and like same on kind of the dp side of things of hey if you have if you have a second camera that's not doing anything can we get coverage of this thing over here? Or, you know, if we have time, can you grab a quick insert of this thing? Because I think it's important or it'll really help. You know, little things like that. I'm looking out for specific things because if, if, if I'm there on set, I'm already thinking about how I'm going to cut it. So things are unfolding in the moment as I'm thinking about how I'm going to edit it. If there's something I see that will help me do my job better and my job being to help the creator of the film realize their vision, you know, how can I help make that happen better? And that's something I always try to make sure that I let filmmakers know is that I am not shy at all about telling people like what I think, offering suggestions for camera angles and performance notes and things like that. And all of, you know, and if I make big changes in the edit of like, 
hey, I think this scene needs to go, or I think these scenes need to be in a different order, or I think this character, we need to pick these performances so they seem like this. All of these things, my entire job is to help a creator bring their vision to life. That's my first and foremost motivation. And I think sometimes a lot of people can feel a little threatened when you're like suggesting changes and stuff. And it's not to like make me feel better and like pat myself on the back and be like, oh my God, I like <laughs> did this amazing thing to your film. It's a, I respect your creative vision so much that I wanna make sure that I help you make it happen. And sometimes that's, let me help you get out of your own way a little mm -hmm. bit. Like if you're too close to the project, like let me help you make the thing that you want to make so honestly it's such a big part, such a big part of editing it's just the like psychology therapy mm -hmm. side of it is like oh man my edit room sometimes feels like a therapy room <laughs> so many people bring like baggage from set of like oh man i was just fighting with the dp the whole time or oh man like the sound was terrible the whole time. There were <laughs> planes flying overhead and trains going by. And like everybody always just has such like trauma from set. <laughs> and then, you know, it all comes into the edit room. I'm just like, ah, oh, just let it go. Just let it go. We're going to make this thing great. And sometimes people get are so close to the thing that it's really, really difficult to see what's actually there. And that's, and that's really my job is to bring out what's there, what's at the heart of the project and really try and make it sing and again really preserve and respect that original vision mm -hmm. and respecting the original vision sometimes means changing some things slightly so that it actually serves the, the intention and sort of the heart of the film so that's you know always a reassurance i want to give to filmmakers because you know i sure talk talk a lot about all the things all the tricks i make things work with and changing things around and kind of manipulating things to be different and you know again all, all of that is not to undermine a certain vision but to actually fully realize it definitely and i know it can definitely be really hard if you're one of the people on set actively making things happen it can be so hard to step away like if you have one shot that took you 20 takes to get right or that took really long to set up then there's that part of you as a director as a dp that really wants to use that shot mm -hmm. even if it doesn't necessarily work oh i know oh i hate doing that as an editor to kill the darlings so to speak you know just the oh man i know you love that shot i know it took you forever but oh, it just doesn't work that's the not fun part of my job is giving the bad news like that you know when somebody's really attached to a thing or an idea and it's like well if you pulled it off it would have been really cool but unfortunately it didn't quite work and it's sort of bringing down the quality of your film but again that's that's part of my job though is to be the person who's removed from it enough to you know be able to have that insight it must be so nice to have an editor on set. I haven't worked on very many projects like that, but I know oftentimes the the cutaways or the inserts or the transition shots might be the first ones that get killed if you're tight on time, but mm -hmm. those can be so crucial. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I can't say I've done that much, being an editor on set, but it's, it's something that I have had dialogues with 
some of my close filmmaker friends about that we actually want to start doing more of um, in the future because the very few times I've done it, I think it has helped a lot. And the people that I was with certainly thought it was so. But, you know, it, it's probably not a setup for everybody. I think if you have the right relationship with your editor, I, I think it it could potentially be a very, you know, helpful thing. But, you know, more importantly than having them on set is like, I think everybody should do this with their editors regardless, is talk to them in pre, bring them into the, the pre-production process, have them take, take a look at your script and your shot list and, you know, make sure they're a part of that conversation because I can guarantee you they're thinking about things that you're not thinking about. And it's also an editor's job to take care of continuity. And I, like, I found continuity errors in scripts before in like pre-production and you know it's, it's something small that slips through the cracks but again like that's my whole job so I'm looking for stuff like that yeah fix it in pre everybody don't forget <laughs> yeah <laughs> so last question what are you working on now and where can we follow you oh well I am finishing up uh cutting a feature film called good guy with a gun you can follow me on my website anajchristian.com I'm also about to launch my own LLC. So Anachrony Post uh, will be servicing a, a film studio near you very soon. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Super exciting. Um, but yeah, you know, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram. I, I don't post a whole lot. I need to up my social media game here very soon. You know, we live in the, the digital age, but um, I, I do in fact exist on both of those platforms. I would love to hear from from people and you know definitely any anyone who wants to reach out I would certainly welcome any questions or dialogue um, or project pitches or anything of that nature. Thank you so much for being here it was super interesting to chat with you and hear more about what it's really like having to be the one who fixes everything in post. <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. And it's always great to uh, hear that people have a curiosity about post and, you know, they're really interested in the job that you do. Um, yeah, you know, it's sort of being in post. It's a little bit of an invisible job because, you know, you kind of sit by yourself in dark room most of the time. So it's nice to hear that people are curious about what it is that you do. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you so much for listening to Shots with Catherine, Conversations with Creatives. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Shots with Catherine. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help us grow, head to our Red Circle podcast page and donate to the show and get a shout out in a future episode. Be sure to tune in next week when I'll be joined by Florida-based horror film director and writer Jack Kierski. Thank you so much again for listening and catch you next week.